So let's talk about the truth for a moment that things are not always as they appear to be. On the screen is the Titum arum, one of the most rare flowers in the entire world. When it blooms, it only blooms for about 24 hours, grows six inches in a day, can reach nine feet tall. Has a second name though, it's called the corpse flower because when the Titum arum blooms for those very few hours, it emits an odor that people say smells like rotted meat. So again, things are not always as they appear to be. And we're going to see that that's true in life, that sometimes when we see a situation, there's much deeper things taking place under the surface, behind the scenes, and in the spiritual world. Now, last week we saw Jeremiah 12, 5, if you race with men on foot and they wear you out, how can you compete with horses? If men wear you out in a race, how can you compete with horses? What Jeremiah is being told here for you and I as well is if the little problems are overwhelming, how are you going to face the big mountains? If the small things are too much to face, how are you going to stand when Goliath appears? And we want to be able to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. I'm ready. I'm spiritually healthy. I am living my life in Christ, and I'm ready to face the giants. So let's look at a verse here this morning that's very key to daily life. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28 to 29. Now in this verse, Jesus has cast out a demon, and the crowd say, where do you get your authority to cast out demons? And Jesus says this, if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons... The kingdom of God has come upon you. And here's the key. How can one enter a strong man's house, spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? Who's the strong man? What's the strong man's house? What is it to spoil his goods? We'll come back to that in a moment. Mark Gelman said it well. There's four types of prayer. There's give me, there's thanks, there's oops, and there's wow. Each prayer is appropriate. You know, give me. We're told to ask and it shall be given. The thanks, that's self-evident. Oops, that's when we need to confess sins. But the wow, we want to see ourselves living more and more in the wow prayer. The wow prayer is when there's a prayer and God answers in a way that no mind can see, no mind conceive, that we just step back and we say, wow. And there's that real praise. And we want to find ourselves living in that place of just saying, wow, when I prayed, what amazing things God did. You know, Frank Damasio said it like this, after the sacrifice of something sacred, we should expect the blessings of God. When you and I give something precious, something like our time or our finances or our personal convenience, when we're ready to say, I'm going to give my energy or my life to this, when we sacrifice something sacred and precious, we should expect the blessings of God. And so we should be about giving in that sense of grateful giving and then living in that expectation that, yes, now God is going to answer in an amazing way. And that's my expectation. Of course, Jesus quoted Isaiah 56, 7. I will bring these to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
You remember that when people had taken and turned the temple into a religious place or a place of financial gain, that's when Jesus threw them out and said, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And here's the key again, when we have our life spiritually in order, then we're told then you'll be able to run with horses. But one thing we have to understand, this idea of the strong man. Someone once said it like this, what you win them with is what you win them to. What you win them with is what you win them to. If we win people with half a gospel, then they're going to live with half a gospel. If we win people with entertainment, then you're going to win them to a life of just wanting to be entertained. When we win them to the full truth of Christ, then they are one to that complete understanding of what it is to die to self and live to him and walk victorious in daily life. You know, if you win them with religion, then you're going to win them to religion. Think about this. Matthew 7, Jesus said, you nullify the word of God by your tradition. And you do many things like that. Back in the first century, the Pharisees, and they weren't all bad, but they did represent winning people with religion. And Jesus said, you oppress people with these constant rules and traditions. Think about this. In that first century, if a Pharisee was carrying a pot, and they bumped into somebody that they considered to be a sinner or unclean. They had to smash their pot and they would smash it on the ground. That may not seem so extreme, but then they had to smash those pieces on the ground into smaller pieces. What you win them with is what you win them to. The Pharisee knew he had smashed the pot into small enough pieces when every broken pottery piece was smaller than his big toe. You see, when we talk about things like religion that binds people and oppresses people, Jesus says you make them twice the son of hell as yourself. What you win them with is what you win them to. We want to share the gospel that is grace greater than your sin, but Jesus does not leave you where you are. He takes you to where he's called you to be. He cleanses you so you can walk in that righteousness and run with the horses. As someone once said, God plus one equals a majority. When you and I say, listen, I'm not going with the crowd, with the herd. I'm following the audience of one and living my life to please him. Suddenly, everything begins to make sense and the Goliaths that stand in our way we're ready to face those giants. So let's talk about maybe things are not always as they appear to be, especially as we talk about life and the spiritual life. On the screen is Portlandia, a statue, the City Hall, Portland, Oregon. Seated as she is, She's some 30 feet tall. If she were to stand, she'd be over 50 feet tall. She weighs six and a half tons. Portlandia, keep that in mind. Perhaps things are not always as they appear. Remember, Philippians 4, 6 says it's by prayer and supplication 
We make our requests known to God. Prayer is countless things. They're all considered prayer, whether it's it's a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of confession, you know, a prayer of asking. But again, it's prayer and supplication. Supplication. Many people say, I prayed, nothing happened. You know, it's about prayer and supplication. Supplication, the idea of that word is if you stand before a royal member, the king, supplication would be to be down on your knees and pleading for that king to intercede on your behalf. That is supplication. Again, God does not answer prayer. He answers desperate prayer. Supplication is a prayer of desperation. It's an intensity. It's a pleading with God. It's on your knees saying, Lord, because of who I am in Christ, I bring this request boldly to your throne room that you might hear my request and that your hand move on my behalf. There's prayer, but there's prayer and supplication. If you say, I prayed about something, nothing happened. The question is, did you have prayer and supplication? Did you get down on your knees and plead before that royal throne with your request? I'll give an example of that. This is a missionary. Gave a testimony in the Pentecostal evangel. I'll just read his words. During World War II in the Philippines, there was a place where the Japanese soldiers tortured and killed their victims. We could hear the screams of the torture day and night. Twice my father was taken by enemy officers, returned to us as a result of my mother's supplication. The third time he was taken, the officer said, he will not be spared a third time. This time he dies. At 4 a.m., my mother woke us, get up and help me pray for your father. We gathered in a circle around my mother with the two-month-old baby on the floor in the center. As we prayed, we heard footsteps. We were sure the officer was coming for us. My mother threw her arms around us to shield us. Suddenly, she said, those are your father's footsteps. We lit a lamp and saw his shirt with blood on it. I understand now why they let me go, he said. You were praying. He told us he was sentenced to die, and as the executioner raised his sword, the officer in charge suddenly screamed, Stop. And he yelled at me, Go home. He threw me out of the gate, and here I am. This is what happened when we were praying. We don't know what the officer experienced to make him change the order, but we do know why. It was the prayers and supplications of her mother. Back in the 1800s, Philip Brooks said, pray the largest prayers. You cannot think of a prayer so large that God in answering it will not wish you had made it larger. Pray not for crutches, pray for wings. So again, Jesus said, if it's by the spirit of God, I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can one enter into a strong man's house? And spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man. The strong man, in this verse here, Jesus makes it clear. They asked again, how do you drive out demons? He said, I bound the strong man. Who's the strong man? The ultimate strong man, of course, Satan, but the demons as well. Principalities, powers of the air. And what does Jesus say? Listen, if you're going to enter a strong man's house to rescue the hostages, to deliver those hostages to freedom... You'd have to first bind that strong man. 
And once you bind that strong man, you can set the captives free. And so Jesus says, on our behalf, he bound that strong man to spoil his goods, to free the hostages. And he says, I give you that same authority in life. Sometimes things are not always as they seem. Sometimes there are spiritual realities happening that we may not notice, but we need to stop and begin to notice those and say, listen, perhaps the reason this issue continues in my life, in my family, in my community, in my state, my country, is the strong man has not been bound. And when we're ready to run with the horses, we need to begin to say, what I bind on earth bound in heaven what I bind in heaven is bound in earth and what I loose is loosed and perhaps the the issue for some areas in our lives is to stop and say I need to see where the enemy is operating him and, and bind his work you know again it's it's our call to daily pray one for another but there's a difference that says, here's my targeted prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I bind the work of the enemy in my child's life so they no longer are blinded to the reality of the destructive choices they're making. It's one thing to say, you know, my marriage is in trouble. It's another to stop and say, I bind the enemy's work in my marriage and I loose the blessings of God upon my spouse that they might be blessed in Jesus' name. It's one thing to just sit back and say, look at the crime in the city. Wouldn't it be great if somebody did something? It's another to stay in the name of Jesus Christ. I bind the strong man's activities in this neighborhood. And I loose the light of God into the darkness. You want to enter into the strong man's house to set the captives free. You must first bind the strong man. Jesus said it. Jesus did it. Back in the 1800s, Joseph Benson summarized it like this. How could I cast out Satan and destroy his works if I did not first overcome him? And greater now is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And we need to use that spiritual authority in our daily life and begin to say, listen, things are not always as they appear. But I can recognize the work of the enemy in this place. You know, binding is contracting with God through intercessory prayer saying, Father, what you have willed, I call forth on earth. So let's talk about another example. Perhaps these things are coincidental. Perhaps not. Thomas Horn did a great study on Portlandia. Again, Portlandia, the statue at City Hall in Portland, Oregon. Portland, of course, has made the news for a number of months where they've had the disastrous idea of the no police zone. But issues go much deeper than that. Portland, Oregon is a major drug distribution center for the country. Meth use is the number one drug problem. Oregon ranks fifth in the nation for marijuana use for kids starting at 12 years old. Most disturbing, 
Portland, Oregon is the city with the highest rate of juvenile sex trafficking in the country. Perhaps these things are coincidental. Perhaps they are not. Perhaps there's something else spiritually taking place in a city. This example, Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. Portlandia there, the second largest copper statue of a goddess in the United States after the Statue of Liberty. Weighing six and a half tons, if standing again, she would tower at 50 feet. Located at the city building, she holds a trident, as Tom Horn shares, considered one of the most important parts of sorcery. Under a six-pointed star, also an important instrument of the dark arts and witchcraft. The metal copper was called Cyprium, due to being mined from Cyprus, the birthplace of the goddess Aphrodite. A plaque beneath her reads, she kneels down. From the quietness of copper reaches out. We take the stillness into ourselves and somewhere deep in the earth, our breath becomes her city. If she could speak, she would say, follow that breath. This is how the world knows where we are. statue to a goddess of witchcraft perhaps it's coincidental Portland's a major drug distribution center with meth use marijuana use starting at 12 and the city with the highest rate of juvenile sex trafficking in the country how do you set captives free when they're bound by the strong man well, you can't until somebody binds that strong man. Then the captives can be set free. You bind the strong man by a targeted prayer in the authority in Christ, just as you would for your own city, your own community, your own family. When you stop and see drugs and crime and divorce and all this sin, what do you do? Do you just step back and say, I pray that changes? No, you stand up in authority and say, I bind the strong man over this city. I loose the blessings of God. I bind the strong man that, br- that brings blindness to the lost. I pray their eyes begin to see. A lot of people talk about 1 John chapter 5 where he talks about pray according to the will of God. And certainly there's a will of God for your life. There's a will of God for my life. But listen, there are thousands of prayers that we are called to pray or you don't have to stop and say, I wonder what God's specific will is here. The will of God is all throughout Scripture. Just stop and think. Is it the will of God that your children be lost? Of course not. Then begin to pray that they have open eyes to see the truth of the gospel. Is it God's will that people be in broken marriages and divorced? Of course not. So begin to pray over your marriages. Is it God's will that people be depressed and broken and sad? Of course not. Then begin to pray for deliverance. We don't have to know God's specific will to pray thousands of things that are within God's will. As John Delgado said, it is not Christ and you, but Christ in you. that will make your life effective and produce much fruit. One final example. Notice the work of the strong man, but the overcoming nature of a believer living in the promise, greater is he than he in the world. If you're worn out by men, how can you run with horses? 
One way to run with horses is prayer and supplication that includes binding the strong man so captives can be set free. Alexander Duff lived in the 1800s. Roland Prothero wrote a biography. Let me just read his words. High in the role of missionary stands the name Alexander Duff. The first missionary sent out to India by the Presbyterian Church of Scotland. An incident on his voyage would shape his life and career. October 14, 1829, he and his wife sailed on board the Lady Holland. Four months later, in rough, boisterous weather, the ship approached Cape Good Hope. At midnight, February 13, 1830, she ran aground. Her back broke, her mast cut away, waves dashed over the wreck. Their position seemed desperate. All around, boiling surf and foam. With great difficulty, one of the boats was launched, manned, dispatched to find a landing place. Three hours passed, hope almost gone. Finally, the boat returned, reporting a small sandy bay. At this haven, the passengers and crew safely landed. All their possessions were lost. In the search for food and fuel, a sailor found two books cast by the waves onto the shore. One was a Bible, another a book of Psalms. In both, Duff's name was written. To the shipwrecked party, the books seemed a message from God. Led by Duff, they knelt down on the sand while he read Psalm 107, Whoso is wise will ponder these things. On Duff himself, the effect was lasting. All his library was lost at sea, some 800 volumes. With it gone, all his notes and memoranda. Only the Bible and the Psalms were preserved. Alexander took this as a cue. He went on to use only the Bible as his teaching source to the students in India. He started a Bible school. A few, few years later, there were 1,000 Bible scholars. If it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? We need to be ready to run with horses. It is not Christ and you, but Christ in you that will make your life effective and produce much fruit.